This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Here's something to think about. Every single U.S. Supreme Court term or every Supreme Court session, I should say, is crucial because they decide direction setting cases that affect everybody and religious freedom is definitely on the docket this year. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for making American Viewpoints part of your weekend. First Liberty is no stranger to the U.S. Supreme Court or federal courts or state courts all over the country when it comes to defending religious liberty, and they're going to have a busy 2023. Jeremy Dyes is a senior counsel with First Liberty, and uh, Jeremy, appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I want to start with uh, what you're going to be doing at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, A lot of people would say this is just a workplace policy dispute. You're saying this case of a U.S. postal worker uh, is not just a workplace scheduling issue. It's a religious freedom issue. What is it that's being argued? Yeah, it really is. And thanks for having me here. This is our fourth trip to the Supreme Court in four years. So uh, it's, a, it's a critical case for religious liberty in that uh, every employee across the country ought to have the freedom of never having to be forced to the choice between one's faith and one's job. But that's exactly what Gerald Groff had to face, is that uh, he began working for the Postal Service because he has this conviction of honoring the Lord's Day every single Sunday. And and the Postal Service, when he started working there, didn't have to worry about that because they didn't deliver on Sundays. And so they were able to just uh, make that work out for him. But a couple of years into working for the Postal Service, uh, Amazon starts requiring the uh, Postal Service to deliver on Sundays. And that may, meant that Gerald had to do that as well. Uh, initially, they were able to accommodate him. And then they withdrew that accommodation after a period of time. And over a period of about two years, they subjected Gerald, because he refused to, to dishonor his religious beliefs and give those up, they subjected him to eight different disciplinary uh, hearings. They gave him a letter of warning and two separate suspensions all for the the all for just simply honoring the Lord's Day according to his religious conscience. I mean, with an organization the size of the Postal Service, one would think that they would be able to find somebody else to cover his shift, just like he covered the shifts of other people on every single holiday, including Thanksgiving and Christmas Day, that didn't fall on a, on, on a Sunday, of course. Uh, and so, reward the reward he received for honoring his faith was that he was constructively discharged. And and, and over a period of all that discipline, not only did they discipline him. But, um, I mean, they made him go out on routes that were especially dangerous in severe ice and snowstorms when other carriers didn't have to go out in those routes. They made him uh, carry more work than other carriers had to carry. Uh, in other words, they had to, he had to carry more packages and parcels than other carriers did in the same routes that he was on. Uh, they made fun of his appearance, uh, comparing him to sexual deviants that were reported in the newspaper and, and made sure his postmaster made sure other people heard him saying just how much he thought of Gerald Groff's appearance. And that's sort of, they created a really hostile work environment. Why? Because this guy had the temerity to, to stand up for his religious beliefs. As a result of all of that, uh, he was punished and, and driven out of the Postal Service, lost his job. When the government and every employer has a responsibility to accommodate someone's religious beliefs, if doing so can be done without an undue hardship to the business of, of, uh, of that very business. Uh, the post office clearly had a way to be able to do that. They just simply chose not to and and, to, and created a really hardworking condition for Gerald in the process. So what his case is going to answer for us is whether or not a case back in 1977, 45 years ago now, uh, has been so watered down as to give a heckler's veto to every coworker that may be out there to say, no, I'm not going to cover anybody else's ship, shift in this um 
in this environment, they've got to they've got to bend. If the employer can show more than a de minimis burden, and de minimis is just a fat, fancy Latin term for really, 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 really small. If they can show that de minimis burden, then they don't have to worry about accommodating people of faith at all. Uh, but this case is going to restore what the Civil Rights Act of 1972, the, the Title VII amendments here, uh, was intended to do in the first place, which was to protect people of faith whose beliefs may be out of lockstep with majoritarian religious beliefs. Uh, that often falls on Seventh-day Adventists or uh, Muslims that are seeking to have their prayers accommodated every day. Uh, Jewish believers and, and what they're able to to and not to to practice, uh, whether that's on the Sabbath or they're, they're, what they can handle, uh, but also people like Gerald, who happens to be a Protestant Christian, but is not like, you know, the guy down at the First Baptist Church who doesn't have any problem working on Sunday. His religious beliefs counsel otherwise, and we ought to, as a country, respect that. That's been our national policy, but uh, the courts have so watered down that policy that it's almost impossible to honor that religious liberty anymore at work. Okay, just as a housekeeping measure, um, is this does it make a difference if it is a public employer like the post office versus a private employer? In other words, can the ruling on this affect the private sector in addition to the public sector? Yeah, it's going to affect everybody. The only only major difference is that the United States Postal Service may be one of the largest employers in the universe, uh, and they ought to have the many resources available to them to be able to accommodate people of faith like Gerald. Look, this isn't going to happen very often. In fact, he was the only one in the entire Lancaster County area in Pennsylvania where he comes from. You know, that 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 uh, area that's famous for uh, uh, the Amish and the Mennonite traditions that take religion and accommodating religion very, very seriously. They have plenty of resources to be able to accommodate people like Gerald. They just simply chose to make an example of him instead. And that they cannot do. And, and, and that's why this case is really important, by the way. Because of the United States Postal Service, that behemoth of an organization that employs thousands of postal carriers around the country, if they can drive out people of faith, then what's stopping little businesses across the country from making an example out of people of faith as well? Uh, and I think the Supreme Court is going to take an opportunity here that they've not had in a long time to restore religious liberty in the workplace. We're visiting with Jeremy Dice from uh, First Liberty. Let's talk uh, military here. Uh, you have got a case uh, coming up here really fast, actually. Uh, that has to do with uh, members of the U.S. military who declined to get a COVID-19 vaccination. What does that have to do with uh, religious beliefs or religious exemptions? Yeah, these stories are sort of connected in that they're, they're kind of employment cases at the very heart of things. These are Navy SEALs and members of the military in general that were subjected to just awful treatment during the, the past couple of years during the COVID uh, um, uh, pandemic. And these these seals, you know, these these elite warriors on the planet had religious objections to taking the the COVID nineteen uh, shot, but uh, the military required them to do so or to get out of the military. And not only that, but they've also required them, uh, or they at least have hinted around that they might uh, punish them further, meaning they might have to repay the money that the the government spent to train them to be these elite warriors. That's millions of dollars that they'd have to repay. Uh, they've been denied treatment. Uh, there was one of our sailors that uh, was hoping to get treatment for a traumatic brain injury he suffered in the defense of our country. And he was going to drive by himself to a facility that didn't care if he had a COVID shot or not. And they said, no, you can't do that. That ongoing uh, type of antipathy towards the religious beliefs of these sailors, uh, and, and more broadly, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines across the, uh, the, the armed forces, that continues even though there's been some uh, direction from the Congress to the Department of Defense to stop its treatment like this. And so we're going to be arguing at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to basically say, 
the Department of Defense has got to stop treating people of faith in the military disparately. They cannot treat them poorly. They've got to give them at least equal treatment within the military. They've not done so. They've actually been hostile to the religious beliefs of these sailors, and that has to come to an end. Okay, we've got just about a minute left, Jeremy, so I'm going to shortchange on time. There can, there's probably somebody out there that says, well, I know that's a personal health decision, but how does that become a religious freedom or doctrinal issue? Sure. I mean, when, when you're giving exemptions to people that uh, have a medical objection or a philosophical objection to the COVID shot, but you're denying people of faith that have it say, I've got a religious objection to that. Well, that becomes discrimination. And that's the heart and soul of what this case is all about. Okay. So then where do we learn? Because you've got at least three other cases that we don't have time to get into right now, but a lot of different cases at the appellate court level. Where do people learn more about what you're doing and why it's so important that you're in these cases? I encourage folks to go to firstliberty.org and learn all about the cases. We got a busy spring this this spring, uh, working on a lot of different circuit courts of appeal and arguments defending your religious liberty across the country. And you've got a winning track record from last year as well. I mean, you all were uh, involved in the Coach Kennedy case with the coach who was fired for praying on the uh, 50 yard line of his high school games. That's right. And uh, thankfully, the fallout from that continues to be great for Coach Kennedy and for coaches and teachers across the country who no longer have to shed their constitutional rights. When they walk through the schoolhouse gates, they've got the religious liberty thanks to a guy who stood up for the religious liberty as he took a knee for for himself. All right. Uh, Jeremy Dyes, uh, senior counsel with uh, First Liberty. Really appreciate you giving us an update on these cases and what they mean. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, just ahead, the funeral of Tyree Nichols in Memphis happened on Thursday. What should we be learning from the entire tragedy and where do we go from here? We're talking about that just ahead right here on American Viewpoints.